invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 142, or log on to your device to Psalm 142. We're in a message series that will wrap up in a couple of weeks, but we're right in the middle of it. It's about being strong and courageous, and about being strong and courageous because we don't know what life will maybe bring to us, and you don't know exactly what you might face. So today we join with David, David, the guy with the sling, David, who became the king, David, who had all kinds of stories written about him. David, who Sight and Sound is featuring right now in our area. That David is the one we're talking about. And he is the one who wrote this song, this psalm, Psalm 147. And he writes this from a cave. He was by himself in the cave when he wrote this. So really we could say that David is writing this psalm from his cave to your cave so you can figure out exactly what to do. In some of my study and preparation, I ran across a writing from John Westfall. From his excellent writing, he says this. I was talking to a friend in our neighborhood, Starbucks. How many of you like to go to Starbucks? Anybody like to go to Starbucks? A few of you do. What do you get when you go to Starbucks? What do you get? Coffee? Coffee? Cake pops? How many of you like cake pops? That's wonderful. He was at the neighborhood Starbucks. I don't know if he had a cake pop or coffee, but he had a friend there, and he was sharing the pain and frustration that he felt. And he says, as my friend listened, I was struck by the emotional intensity I was expressing. Have you ever just kind of almost had an out-of-body experience where you just kind of saw yourself acting like you were acting? Well, he saw himself saying what he was saying. He said, when I was done unloading, my friend said, aren't you glad you won't always feel the way you feel now? Oh, John said, I thought about that for a long time. We'll go back to Starbucks in just a little bit. We might get a cake pop, we might not. We might get coffee, we might not. But we're going to go back in a little bit. Keep that in the back of your mind. We'll pull it up front in a little bit. David's hiding in his cave. He is running from Saul. We're not sure exactly which cave it is. Prayers like he writes here, songs like he writes here, are not to really be overanalyzed. But let's lift some things out of it today. As a matter of fact, I want to, I want to look at, at four steps, if you will, that David uses here to, to help lift himself and help see himself rise as he becomes strong and courageous, even in overcoming this desperate situation. The first thing we want to look at is David was distressed. He was absolutely distressed in verses 1 and 2 of the passage you see this. And so what do you do when you get distressed? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to when you get distressed? Uh, do you eat a lot? That's one thing that, that bugs me, and I have to watch that. But to eat a lot. Uh, do you drink a lot? Maybe the wrong thing that messes with you. You, you, you know, you drink that. And, and do you drink a lot? Do you do weed so you can chill out? Uh, some places have legalized that. I don't know if your house has or not. I hope not. But uh, anyway, uh, do, you, do you do weed? Um, do, you, do you binge watch something? Uh, do you just sit around your, in your sweats all the time and kind of curl up in a ball? Well, look what David did. Look at verse 1 of what he did here. David was distressed. So he turned to God in prayer. Look at verse 1. He said, I cried... He, he calls out aloud in the cave. And from the Hebrew, which that was originally written, we see that it means this, to shriek 
or to bellow. Have you ever heard on those shows showing you a lion, how this big lion will come out and go, oh! Have you heard that? That's kind of what they do. It's a poor imitation of the real deal. <laughs> Just poor as it can be. But there it is. And it also can mean that it's, that it's just being this loud thunder. It's him in a cave by himself with God. So he's not completely alone, but no human. And there he is crying out loud. He is in one of these times whenever he is just really letting it go. Now, Warren Wiersbe in his writing, he puts it this way. He said, God knew David's difficult situation better than David did himself. That's encouraging. God knows your situation better than you know yourself. Nudge your neighbor and say, my, my, my. He knows your situation better than you know yourself. But the Lord has ordained that our prayers play an important part in his providential answers. And I have heard many people say, why does God want us to pray when he knows everything anyway? I've asked the same thing. God knows our thoughts before we think them. God knows our thoughts afar off, all of that. So we understand this. So we're looking at that and saying, well, God, why do I even need to pray? You already know everything. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 2 really helps us out with this. Now let's look at this just for a minute. It's on the screen. Leave it there for a bit. Look at what we've underlined here. It talks about, you don't have to come to God with some kind of fancy anything. Look at this. Take your words with you and return to the Lord. Take your words with you to return to the Lord. Forgive all our sins as we say to him. Say to him and receive us graciously. We're asking him that why? We may offer the fruits of our lip. Look at that. We're going to take words, we're going to say to him, and we're going to offer the fruit of our lip. That is a conversation of our mouth. We're going to be giving this to God. This is what he appreciates in our prayer. And that's what David is doing. And that's what he wants from you and me. He wants us to be able to come to him and to be able to talk to him. He wants us to be able to come to him and to be able to share with him everything that is going on in our lives. The other day I was praying and I was pretty vague in my prayer. And I was praying a vague prayer and it was like the Lord spoke to me, just kind of tapped me on the head and said, hey, Go ahead and explain to me what you're thinking. Some reason or other, it pleases God for you and me to explain, to go ahead and spell out. So you know what I did? For the next few minutes, here's what I did. I went ahead and I explained what I was feeling, what I was thinking, and what I, I thought was going on in the situation. Then I told God what I thought he ought to do. <laughs> you asked. And then I shut my mouth and after I said, what are you going to do? Notice in verse 1, twice David said to the Lord. Now, you may think you can't repeat a prayer, but you can. That's not vain repetition. Vain repetition, thinking of something and saying it over and over, where you're just saying it without even thinking. That's what that is, mindless babble. That's what that is. But he's saying to the Lord out of an earnestness, a shriek, a bellow, a holler, a thunder. That's what he's doing here. He feels absolutely worthless, discarded. He feels discouraged. Actually, many writers said he feels depressed in this situation, but he goes to God. I want to encourage you in whatever's going on in your life or whenever you get to wherever it is you're going to go in your life, don't ever forget to go to God. Always go to God. He goes to God. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. I had no one else to lean on. I had no other way to go, but I went to God and there he was. 
David turned to God in his prayer. I also know that David turned to God with a specific request. He really spells it out before God. Verse 2 of the contemporary English version puts it this way. I tell you all of my worries. In other words, it's okay to talk to a counselor. It's okay to talk to your spouse. It's okay to talk to your brother, your sister, your parent, whatever. It's okay to talk to your friends and your confidant and your accountability partners. But let me say this. There is nothing like coming before God and talking to him for about, a, I don't know, I don't know how long it was, hour and a half this morning or so, I was praying and I was talking to God and listening to God. I was pouring out many of you by name to him and praying over this church and the services and each one of our staff and volunteer members praying and asking God. Look at what happens here. He says in verse two, he expresses the complication of this life. He calls it my troubles. He's getting very personal with God. I cried to God and I told him, my troubles. You can go to God and you can talk to him about what's going on in your life. Everything that's going on in your life. He said, I just poured myself out to God. I gave him my troubles, my inner turmoil. I said, here I am. This is what I'm thinking. This is how I feel about all this stuff's going on. It means in the, in the Hebrew language here, it really means this. It means to be bound up or to be in a tight fix. <laughs> Have you ever been bound up by something? Your stomach's in knots. Your mind can't even think and process well. And that's where you end up finding yourself. We might find ourselves there right now. Somebody may be there this day in this sort of dilemma. I heard about the father who was walking by his daughter's room. She was a young kid. And she was talking. She was supposed to be going to sleep, but she was talking out loud, and he stopped to listen to what she was saying, and she was very reverentially reciting the alphabet. A, B, C. He said, what in the world are you doing? You're supposed to be asleep. She said, I'm saying my prayers. He said, you don't say the alphabet. She said, I do, because I don't know what words to say, and he'll put them all together. He knows what's going on. And that's what I think happens here, and sometimes we get that point where I say to God, God, I don't even know how to put together what I'm saying. Have you ever been there? You just say, this situation's overwhelming, and I don't even know what to do. I mean, I want to slap my grandma, but I, she's dead. I can't do that, you know, the whole saying. So I just say it's a Midwest saying. I say it quite often. But uh, anyway, look at next. David, <laughs> David was desperate, verses 3 and 4 here of our passage. He was fearful. He's a grown man. He's a king, but he's fearful. He has pressures inside himself, verse 3. He has pressures outside himself as well. Now, I read from Stormy O'Martian's, or however you say her name, I read from her writing quite a bit. And as I read from her writings, I want to know more about her. And I picked up a book that helped me understand a little more about her. She writes a lot of books with the title starting this way, The Power of Praying, and then she'll finish it, and that'll be the subject matter of that book. But The Power of Praying Through Fear. To me, it was her best writing I've read from so far. And whenever I started reading that, I, I read from her story. Now, if you look at the picture of Stormy O'Mardian, you see this. She is a beautiful, lovely lady. You think she has always had life in a pampered way, never had a worry, never had a struggle, never had a problem, didn't have a clue about anything you're going through, could never identify with you. But the fact of the matter is, she was raised in a very dysfunctional family. Her mother had bad mental issues. Her father was gone traveling on the road a lot. She didn't have enough food sometimes, and she didn't have the proper clothing sometimes, and the house wasn't heated properly, and the story went on so much I had to take breaks while I was reading it just to put it aside for a little bit because it was like, wow, 
This poor person, I wish I could reach out and help you. This is so terrible. From that backdrop and that background, she started talking, and this is what she said. For whatever reason, fear affects us mentally, emotionally, and physically. It weakens us, and it makes us sick in our mind and in our body and in our soul. It can overwhelm us and just work us up. David was fearful, and maybe you've been fearful. David was also friendless. Look at verse 4. They were treating him with all kinds of social disrespect or indifference, you could call it. He normally would have people around him who would be his guards or some of his soldiers or people around him, but he has no one like that now. He has no kind of spiritual assistance with him. There are no friends with him anywhere helping him out. None of that going on. No friends. You and I need friends. Pastor Melanie talks about some of the small groups we have, and she helps coordinate some of that. And you need to be able to connect with those, and I need to be able to connect with other people in our life. We just need other people to know somebody cares about us. Ernest Gordon was in prison in a Japanese concentration camp. He had been serving with Scotland in World War II. The rations were meager. The soldiers were taking a lot of the food and not even sharing it. Other soldiers from Allied armies were fighting over scraps and stealing from one another, and he was part of the Allied army. And so here they were having all of these problems. On his body, he had sores that were infected, and he had, he had kind of atrophied in his legs and his feet. And he said there was discouragement and death all around us. It was overwhelming. But he said, then something wonderful happened. He said that thing that was wonderful that happened was two more inmates came into the prison. They had been, they had been uh, uh, taken, and now they had to go into the concentration camp, and there they were. They came in with a whole different attitude. <laughs> they started serving other people. They massaged his legs. They cleaned his wound. They would give food to other soldiers. Even though they didn't have much, they would share. Before very long, they began having Bible studies together. After they had church services together, he said the atmosphere of the whole place changed. We quit fighting with one another for the most part and started helping each other so they could have a little food and we could have a little food and we could help each other one another. And said the atmosphere of the place began to change and we began to get better all the way around. It was a wonderful thing. He said we still had death everywhere around us, but he said the atmosphere of the whole place changed. Here's what he said after he was eventually released and became the chaplain of Princeton University. He said, death was still with us, no doubt. But we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. It was being replaced with gifts of God to us. And death no longer had the last word at Chung Kai prison camp. Now let's look at that word discerning. David was discerning. Verses 5 through 6 talk about this. He found God to be very satisfying in this situation because many times he'd experienced God on a mountaintop or he would be going down deep into the valley. It seemed like it'd either be really up high or really there'd be something to be enough, you know, with the problems of some of the people or the problems of the church or problems in the community, whatever it was. Uh, I remember uh, after we had toured over at Lehighton, now that light will bother all of you, right? <laughs> So I remember over at Lehighton, we had just taken that tour of that elementary school, and I felt in my heart that we were supposed to get it. I just felt inside, we're supposed to get that thing. 
But we didn't have the resources and we didn't have a lender and we didn't want a high interest loan. And I'm thinking, how in the world is this going to happen? And I was thinking, God, we're supposed to get it, but the, the gap between us getting it in there is really big. So what are we supposed to do? So I was mowing my yard. And while I'm mowing my yard, I'm riding on a little rider and whirling around. And God spoke into my heart and he said, you go ask the people. Some of them can do this. And I got up here and I said, some of you could loan or give the church several hundred thousand dollars and you wouldn't even miss it. The interest is good now. That was back a few years ago. The economy was a little stronger and, and inflation wasn't hitting us. So I was just talking about that and said, we can, we can do this. Somebody here needs to help us out with this. I did my part. I didn't know what else to do. I just did my part. I, I remember almost choking, getting ready to say it because I thought, oh man, that is crazy. And wouldn't you know God spoke to some hearts that day and some people stepped up. We had some nice smaller gifts that were made available to us. And then we had a huge interest-free loan that was given to us. And we were able to buy that place. And there have been many people come to faith in Jesus Christ there. We have baptized many people. There have been weddings. There have been funerals. There are several hundred people that will go there to that campus this morning. And we are a light in that community. And we have been able to restore that building and we owe $126,000, and it'll be completely paid off. That's with a, about a quarter million dollar of renovation plus $430,000 of purchase price. I think that's pretty incredible after a couple of years. And uh, it's just been like, what, two, maybe three years now that we're into that, something like that. And it's just, you got to celebrate once in a while, right? But I was just right there in that case saying, God, how are we going to do this? I mean, right now we need to pay off $31,000 with our, uh, we need it this week. And I just said, God, here it is. Give it all to him. So we got to be discerning. So David has found God to be satisfying in verse 5. I cried out to you, O Lord. I cried out to you. In other words, you're my choice. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to get high. I'm not just looking to have some kind of sexual experience. Thinking of things people do in our... I'm not going to cut myself. I'm not going to huff the stuff. I'm not going to do all of this stuff. I went to the police academy, and I know about that. <laughs> I'm not going to do all the other kind of stuff that I have to do to get off. And, and what he says here in the contemporary English version, he puts it this way. You are my choice. NIV says, you are my refuge. It is you, God. You're the one. Now, you've got to have discernment. Three men were walking along. They were in a hike, and they came along now to where the edge of the river was. It was in, in flood times. I mean, the water it had rain. It was flooded. It was high. And normally, you'd be able to get across. They could not get across. So the first guy prayed to God, and he prayed to God. And he said, I need you to give me strength to get across this river. And God gave him big old guns. He got them registered real quick. And then he got his legs, got muscles, and he was able to swim across it. It took him a long time to do it, but he had the strength to do it. And the next guy said, God, I need you to give me the strength, but I need you to give me the tools. And poof, God gave him a boat. And he rowed across. And it took him about 90 minutes, but he made it across the river in a raging tide. And the third guy said, God, I'm just praying for intelligence. Poof, God turned him into a woman. <laughs> and gave him a map. 
And 50 yards downstream, he found the bridge and walked across. <laughs> David's looking to God for security. I'm completely helpless. Have you felt vulnerable? I'm completely helpless. Dark night, flat tire, side of the road. Helpless. Verse 6, he says, I am brought very, very, very low. He trusted God. Now, last weekend, I asked a question of this service. How many of you had a good week? Boom, bunch of hands went up. How many of you had a bad week? Boom, hands went up. And I looked back here, and there was a fellow sitting here, and I had never seen him before, but I looked over there, and I said, wow, my new best friend, an honest guy right there in the crowd. And after service, got to meet him out in the lobby. And listening to his story, he said this, I teach chemistry into underprivileged kids in a school. I used to be able to give more freely of the things of God and the faith, but he said, now I can't talk like that, so I have to really be discerning. Really be careful what I say. So it's through my actions and consistency that I'm here that I'm able to do this. You and I need to be discerning. Don't believe every voice whenever you get down and whenever things are going against you. Don't listen to everybody's advice. Keep going to God. And I noticed something else. David was delivered in verse 7. Now, if you look through verses 1 through 6, this is a prayer. So in verse 1, now in verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, he's living this situation. He's going through it, right? So he's going through all this crud of life. He's in the cave. He's in the valley. In verse 7, he switches tones in this whole song, and he talks about a future tense when things are going to be going better, when things are going to be going in his favor, whenever he is going to be blessed, when he is going to experience the wind of God in his sail to drive him and guide him where he needs to go. This is absolutely powerful because of this. He's over here in verses 1 through 6, living the reality of this, and by faith writes verse 7. The other day in one of my prayers, I don't know about in your prayers, I began to thank God by faith about what would be coming in the future on a certain thing I was praying about. And I was lifting my request to God and thanking Him in advance for the victory He's going to bring and the story He's going to write and the testimony He's going to give because I know with God all things are possible. And I know with God He will give me the strength to be able to do this. And He can give you the strength to do this. In your labor, in your leisure, where you are in life, in the struggles, in the realities. You didn't sign up for that, but there's God. You're living verses one through six. Don't forget you've got verse seven. Go ahead and write about it. You remember when the prodigal's dad is looking down the road? He doesn't have any reason to celebrate yet, right? But he knows there's a celebration coming. He's looking down the road and the prodigal starts coming back. And when he comes back, what happens? They give a ring, they give shoes, they give a robe, and they kill the fatted calf. Yip, yip, hooray! They have a big old party. He lived in verse 7. I want you to live in verse 7. I want you to live in the faith chapter of this. The reality that God is for us. Who can be against us? Who can separate us from? the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody might need this today. Somebody might need to know that God cares about what's happening in you, in your life, in your business, in your home, in your presentation tomorrow at work. I know you're not deaf, but I get excited. <laughs> David is getting delivered. He's going to be coming into some freedom. He's going to be out of that cave. He's not going to be bound up inside anymore. He's not going to be shrieking and hollering and yelling. He's going to have some people around him. The nation comes around him. They're going to respect him, receive him as king. It's going to be wonderful. And God is showing him fruitfulness of his life. 
He's preparing him for that. And in verse 7, he talks about that. He writes it another way in Psalm 13 when he's writing in verse 6. He said, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Has he been good to somebody in this house today? Has he been good to somebody in this house today? I think we ought to hear somebody saying yes. Because some of you have been down and we prayed for you and prayed with you and walked with you and we've seen God work in your life and you have overcome and you're living, verse 7 now, in the victory of what it is that you have gone through. God may not change your circumstances the way you want him to, but he will get you through and you'll be able to praise his name some way at the end of the day. So I don't know what he's going to do for you, but he will pull you through. Pull you through whatever it is you're facing today. Now let's go back to Starbucks. Are you there? You've got the cake pop. You've got the coffee. And you're sitting there with John Westfall. He continued. You remember he was thinking about the question. Aren't you glad you won't always feel this way? And he continued to write. When we're in the midst of pain and loss... It's natural to assume we'll always feel that way. This may be the reason it is so difficult to have hope, but we aren't doomed to be stuck in our pain. Our lives will change. Our feelings will be different. He continued on. If everything stayed the same, we could justify despair. But in the Bible, God says, look, I'm doing a new thing. Can't you see it? Isaiah 43. And he concludes this way. I want to see it. Don't you? Lord, we don't know how you're going to work in our situations of life. We thank you for the many mountains we get to experience where is joy. They give us hope when we're in the valley that you have a track record of bringing us through. And so we know you have one with David and you brought him through in such a such a word for us today. We pray that you would be pleased to use it in some way to encourage someone here today, someone watching, someone watching maybe later this week on this message. They might be able to be encouraged in their heart, strengthened in their soul, to be able to find the uplift and the updraft and the hope that you give. Thank you for the triumphs and the victory that come through your Holy Spirit, your power in us, that through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, we are more than conquerors. We praise your name, Lord. So help no one who might feel despair, whether here or in the hospital or in jail or, or maybe home just in a situation in a dither today or someone here that is so stressed they can hardly stand it. Just be with us and lift our head, lift our heart, and let us know that you are with us and with you all things are possible. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.